Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. All right, everybody, this is In Liberty and Health, and I'm really, really looking forward to this conversation. Every single podcast I've listened to with our guests today, I've really, really enjoyed. So make sure you like, subscribe, share, check all the links below, follow me everywhere, follow Aaron everywhere. And um, without further ado, I won't keep this intro too, too long. Let's go. What is up, everybody? My name is Kyle Matovic. I am the host of the In Liberty and Health podcast, where we talk all things liberty, health and wellness, and beyond. My hope is to encourage and spread the message of liberty, physical, and mental well-being. I hope you enjoy all the topics we talk about with our guests. We're on all major streaming platforms, so please sit back, relax, and enjoy. Man, I'm doing as good as anyone can do getting buried by his 13-year-old son on leg day. (laughs) I'm not going to apologize for not being on this podcast because I got to go see Metallica, so... If that's a problem, kiss my ass. Okay? Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. What's going on, everybody? And today we have Aaron Day with us. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. How are you? Absolutely fantastic. I told you off air, it's been a little bit of a rough day, but um, I was listening to you yesterday and today on, um, I think it was the Fountainhead Forum, and I can't remember the other podcast, and um, I was blown away with your intelligence and all the stuff that you talked about and your... Um, wide swath of a career so i guess let's start off with uh your introduction you know tell my audience who you are and uh you know what's going on with you i'm um, sure i'm i'm aaron day i am uh currently i'm running for president of the united states in the republican primary uh and also author of this book uh that doesn't do well with the green screen but it's called <laughs> it's called the final countdown crypto gold silver and the people's last stand against tyranny by central bank digital currencies um and so what i'm doing right now my number one focus is stopping central bank digital currencies that that is to me the gateway to global tyranny and it is the number one thing that we have to to stop so i mean i can give you a little bit about my background and how i got into this but that's okay. that's precisely what i'm doing right now i see this as an existential threat to liberty and free will. Like it's, it's actually that big of a deal. Um, but I can give you a little bit of my backstory. I mean, my backstory is I'm a serial entrepreneur. I dropped out of Duke when I was 19, started my first company. I started an e-commerce company a week before Amazon was formed, um, sold that in 2001 and then got involved in venture capital a little bit, went to the, I call it the dark side. Um, and then got the entrepreneurial bug again, started a healthcare company. And it's interesting that, I mean, the theme of this is liberty and health, because that is 100% aligned with where I am. I actually started a company to tackle the obesity epidemic. And I've mm-hmm. actually struggled with my way on and off my entire life. But I came up with a model that was actually a very libertarian model. It was the use of financial incentives to reward employees for losing weight. And the incentives were designed intelligently because the issue isn't losing weight it's losing weight and keeping it off so we actually developed a structure that had cumulative rewards so the the more you lost the longer you kept it off the more you earned 
And we even rewarded healthy weight employees for maintaining a healthy weight and structured a team incentive model where you could have healthy, a mixture of healthy and overweight employees working together mm -hmm. uh, for team goals. And it was wildly successful. We, we had on average 60% participation rates oh, wow. in our program. So that's 60% of an entire company. So if you have a thousand employees, 600 people were participating wow. in the program and they were seeing dramatic improvements in health. Yeah. Um, in fact, on average, our average client was seeing you know, five times return on their investment. So basically what would happen is the employer would pay us and would fund the rewards and then they would see the savings mm -hmm. in terms of a direct reduction in medical claims mm -hmm. and an increase in productivity. So wildly successful. We had clients in 43 states. I mean, at one point in 2008, I was like flying around. I, I met with Walmart, Google, Quest Diagnostics all in one mm -hmm. week. Like, like this was going absolutely off the charts. And then the company was destroyed by Obamacare, Dodd-Frank, and an overzealous attorney general, Eric Holder, at the time. And that's what really sparked me into liberty activism. I mean, I'd always been interested in libertarian philosophy. I mean, I started a nine Rand book club in high school, mm -hmm. but I got really hardcore into it in 2008 when, when my company was crushed. Mm -hmm. And so that, that uh, caused me to move to New Hampshire and joined the Free State Project. So that was 2009. At one point, I was the chairman of the Free State Project uh, when we triggered the move when we reached that threshold of getting 20,000 signers. And I know you've had other people from the Free State Project. I know your last interview was with that was with Jeremy Kaufman. Um, I ran the Republican Liberty Caucus of New Hampshire. I created a super PAC called Stark 360. I was running a think tank called um, the Atlas Society, which, which promotes objectivism. And, and I was still running my company all at the time. So I went all in on kind of liberty, liberty activism and um, ended up um, running for U.S. Senate. It's a long story. We may get into it a little bit later, but, sure. but I'm just trying I'm trying to get to the I ended up giving up on politics, actually, in 2008, mm -hmm. because I saw some of the things that are going on here in New Hampshire they really aren't effective. Uh, and I believe heavily, let me at the outset say, I believe in the Free State Project, I believe in New Hampshire, mm -hmm. but I do not believe that the political approach is necessarily a winning political approach. Sure. The, the actual uh, impact of the federal government, the percentage of the budget controlled by the federal government in New Hampshire has, has surged since I've been here. So we've really lost our, our sovereignty and our solvency to a large degree because of, of increased dependence on, on the federal government. So I got out of it entirely and kind of went through a personal transformation situation, lost 150 pounds, really completely distanced myself from, from all of the activism, focused internally, did a lot of meditation, did some stuff that I never thought you know I'd be doing. But like Joe Dispenza, I got involved with the Monroe Institute, a whole bunch of really interesting meditation techniques, mm -hmm. and then decided... Politics isn't where it's at. Crypto is where it's at. The, the, the whole issue here and the whole goal is decentralization. So I moved everything that I had into crypto, basically downsized from a 6,000 square foot house to everything that I own, fitting into two suitcases, and wanted to see how you could apply the underlying blockchain technology to get rid of third parties in other areas, not just money. So whether it's a stock market or housing or whatever. So I was on my way to just exiting the system entirely. And then COVID happened. And obviously that was a significant, you know, overreach in a whole variety of areas. Right. I mean, I, 
I have kids and, you know, it's like I, I had to go to like dance recitals that were outside in the winter where the kids are wearing masks and, and you have to social distance outside in New Hampshire in the winter. <laughs> How ridiculous. And, but then but then the other thing that happened is we saw the crackdown on crypto. So I'm, I've been living off of crypto. And then all of a sudden I, I saw, you know, Ian Freeman, who's a, a free stater who uh, started Free Talk Live, who actually I heard about the Free State Project from Free Talk Live. And I learned about Bitcoin from Ian in 2012. Um, all of a sudden, he's being raided by the FBI and like five other federal government agencies. And now he's looking at up to 30 to 70 years in prison for simply selling Bitcoin for cash. I mean, that's essentially what he did. I mean, they call it you know, operating without a money transmitter license and money laundering. But effectively, at the end of the day, he sold Bitcoin for cash and he's looking at 30 to 70 years in jail. Jeremy Kaufman, who you had on here, I know last week, mm -hmm. was destroyed by the SEC. And so I started looking into this and I started researching this. And this is what really drove me to write this book, The Final Countdown. And what I found is that the COVID tyranny and the crackdown on crypto have a similar source. And that source is that there is a there is absolutely a push for one world government. Um, and you can look at the U.N. 2030 Sustainable Development Goals to, to, to take a look at what that might look like. But there is a movement towards one global currency and a social credit system where basically, you know, you basically lose free will. I mean, all of the decisions are made for, for you from the top down. You have no real say in your day-to-day -day life. And you can see in, in terms of what goes on in China right now, what that will look like kind of globally in terms of there are 626 million security cameras in China. They track every movement, every aspect of your life, facial recognition, all tied to a social credit system. That's coming everywhere. And so when I started looking at well, what's behind this government regulation, I found that it really is they're cracking down on decentralized crypto so that they can roll out a central bank digital currency. And the way that it's handled in the mainstream media, or if you listen to the, the chairman of the Federal Reserve talk about CBDC, he'll say, well, it's something that we don't even know if we want to pursue it or not. And in reality, they've already completed three successful CBDC pilots. They have a CBDC pilot off the that's sitting on the shelf ready to be deployed. So we have much less time. In fact, I don't think we have until the 2024 election to stop CBDC. It's interesting that we're doing this interview today because the Federal Reserve just launched FedNow, which is an instant payment platform, which is essentially the infrastructure that could be used to roll out a CBDC. Mm -hmm. FedNow, I mean, if, you, if you're used to dealing with your bank account, you know, well, last week, you know, if it would take a couple do a direct deposit. Sometimes checks could take seven to 10 days to clear. Wire transfers are like 20, 30, $40. All of that goes away as of today for banks that are participating on FedNow. Now you're going to have basically instant and like transaction fees that are a fraction of a penny mm -hmm. using the existing banking system. But that same infrastructure can be used to monitor transactions and can be used to basically run a CBDC. So in the process of writing this book, I, I, this is where I learned and actually researched what's going on with all these pilots. I, I looked at what's going on. There are 120 CBDC pilots, countries doing pilots across the globe today. Mm -hmm. There were only 25 looking at this in um, 
2020. So that it's grown that much. And by the end of this year, it's expected that there are going to be 24 CBDCs rolled out covering over a billion people. So, so we have to stop this now. And what I realized is, so I decided to run for president to bring awareness to this issue because it's not an issue that a president can actually even address as much Mm -hmm. as I'd like to say, end the fed and all of this other stuff. and, And I certainly believe in ending the fed. We, the people, can end the Fed. The president can't end the Fed. The Fed requires Congress. And and to be honest, we have a uniparty in Congress. It would be a pipe dream to think you're ever going to change any of that. So I put out this book and I put out something on my Twitter, which is at Aaron R. Day, called the Bank Run Manifesto, which actually just hit a million views today. But basically what it's calling for and what the book explains is we need to exit fiat currency. People need to when I say bank run, people get this kind of association of like the 1930s where, you know, it's a bunch of people standing outside with bags, pulling out their cash. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about logging on to your bank account and buying self-custody crypto gold or silver from your bank accounts. You're basically exchanging your fiat dollars for an alternative that you have in your possession mm-hmm. and that and that is that is what i'm i'm promoting and in fact if we can get three percent of the population to do that in my view we can actually halt cbdc stop world war three and end the fed like that it's, mm. it's l- literally that so so my pitch here is isn't vote for me that you know get 50 percent plus one person to vote for me and then i'll go in and fix things I'm using this as a platform to say if 3% of us actually mm-hmm. start buying crypto, gold, and silver, then we can actually stop all of all of this this global tyranny and potentially even prevent World War III. Yeah, it's kind of crazy when you consider all the ramifications of a CBDC because um, it literally will affect every single aspect of your life. Because if you look at like just the way ads come up on Twitter, Facebook, Google, everything like that. It's through, I think they get some of your cookies and they probably mine some data from other things and other websites that you get. And then they start seeing your habits, right? So if they see that you have the wrong habits and they're going to start limiting, you know, the amount of money that you can spend in certain areas, that's going to bring your social credit score down. And then, you know, they'll maybe incentivize you to, hey, if you go fight in World War Three, <laughs> you know, you go fight a war for China over Taiwan or Russia over Ukraine, then we'll bring your credit score up. Like, just the idea of a cbdc like i think people normies who hear this might think this is nice because oh well i don't have to worry about carrying cash anymore but like this is kind of like the end this really is like the last stop before toll when it comes to tyranny is and they will control absolutely everything you do so um your idea of the bank run i always thought was fascinating as well because you aren't saying go into the you know banks like you said and point a gun to people's heads and fucking take the money you're saying we need to opt into something else and what i also like about your message you're not just saying just do bitcoin just do gold just do silver just do whatever you're saying whatever you can do to get out of the existing system do that right whatever your preferred option is I just find that when people get too dogmatic about things, especially like currencies, you know, you're going to reject potential people that may be allies because you're so dogmatic and it's almost like a religious thing. And, you know, we see this in many different um, ideologies. We see that. We definitely see that in crypto. I mean, and I do provide a lot of information because as I talk to, as you said, normies, they don't understand about crypto or even right. they don't know how to go about getting gold or silver. And, and frankly, right. there are a lot of scams out there. So in the book, I actually lay out. Um, what types of cryptos to look for? Because you're, you need something that's decentralized. You can't obviously have something that the SEC could seize or that's or, or that has a, a centralized system or mechanism. So I kind of outline, you know, 
like a half a dozen or so cryptos that make sense as replacements for money, right? I, I'm all for any crypto. Any crypto should be allowed to exist. I, I, this isn't a question about what should be regulated. This is a question about what could be a substitute for money. And so I go through a lot of those criteria, but I lay out all the risks with all of this as well and kind of the history of gold, the history of silver, what kind of scams there are. And the biggest point, though, is is to absolutely warn people about the importance of self-custody because I probably one of the I've onboarded hundreds of people to to crypto over the last decade. And I always tell people, don't leave money on the exchanges. And and I would say over half of them didn't listen to that. And in some way or another, they've been impacted and lost some or all of their crypto. Um, And the same is true with gold. I mean, it's, it's funny. People talk about this. I, you know, somebody said today, well, the government can just come in and issue an order saying that they're going to ban crypto like they did with gold. And they very well might. I mean, we're actually pretty close to that at this point. But if you already have it in your own possession, then you can use it. I mean, let's be very clear. If we're talking about this level of tyranny, then you're not complying with the law. We're talking about a situation where you're trying to decide whether or not you have free will or not, whether or not you're going to be put in a cage or put into a situation where you basically have no decision making authority over your own life. So at that point in time, it's like, yeah, we're going to be using this on a peer to peer basis. And 75% of the gold was confiscated when FDR issued his executive order in 1933. And it was people that had their gold in vaults and people that had their gold in, in banks that had their physical, the physical gold removed, the physical asset removed. But 25% still managed to hold on to their gold if they you know, kept it at home or kept it in their own, in their own custody. So I, you know, explain to people that, you know, yes, governments are, are shouldn't be trusted, but there really aren't any good trusted third parties, which includes crypto exchanges, which includes third parties that might claim they're going to manage your gold for you in a vault. So that's a key key message is personal responsibility and self-custody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that goes along with the uh, theme of your campaign, Truth and Transformation, because I've also heard, or as you kind of laid out a little bit towards the beginning there, um, you'd lost 150 pounds. And I, I think a lot of people underestimate just not only how much body fat they have to lose, but also how much better they feel whenever they lose said weight. Because um, at one point I was 50 pounds heavier. I mean, I was 250 pounds. Well, now I'm a little bit heavier right now because I'm bulking. But <laughs> regardless, um, people have no idea, like your birthright really really is to be healthy. And I think people really don't understand that till they finally, you know, realize, okay, well, I'm going to make a change for the better and I'm going to start living healthy behaviors. Um, there's just a uh, article. You probably saw me tweeting about it. Um, I think they said something like, um, Experts are now suggesting we should start giving kids drugs to help them with obesity. It's like, this is absolute insanity. Kids are not born obese. This is from lifestyle behaviors. Over the last, you know, 60, 70 years, we eat more of everything now. And we do way, 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 way less activity. And everything tastes so freaking good. And people don't want to do anything after they eat. So, of course, you know, what do they do? They sit around the house. They eat Twinkies, bonbons, hyperpalatable foods. They get fat. And then now, hey, look, we have something. you We can outsource your weight loss and your response responsibility to big pharmaceutical companies. So that way, you know, not only are you a slave to pharmaceutical companies, but also now you don't have any agency on your own. So therefore you can't change. Um, That to me is so ridiculous because once again, the power is with you. And I think this is a lot of kind of what your campaign is about. So my campaign is about, but another, I think, point to that is a lot of people ask me, well, how did you lose the weight? And the real answer is I did the opposite of public health guidelines. The truth is that it isn't necessarily that people are just lazy. 
people actually followed health guidelines. I mean, I remember being in health class and seeing the textbook that had the food pyramid that had 11 to 15 servings of carbs as the base. No one got fired for that. In fact, that I mean, all of that stuff was, I, I think, by design. And in fact, there's a, a, an even worse set of food standards coming up. And when we start talking about globalism and social credit scores, there's a new diet called the Lancet diet that is being developed that actually does have uh, low protein, like almost no red meat, it, it involves bug protein and and they, they even included sugar, like added sugar into the yeah. diet itself, which is absurd. That's the, there's yeah. the, there's absolutely no reason to have added sugar as part of, of, of a healthy diet. Mm -hmm. So it's very difficult. People have to realize that you have to stop listening to the experts like it's good. It, yeah. You can't be healthy if you actually follow the quote experts, especially in public health. And so that is a huge that is a huge challenge. And that was something even when I when I started my last company, the approach was we use incentives and we use teams and we use community and everything else. But we also promoted choice because we weren't going in there and saying, here's this. This is the prescriptive diet and exercise program because nobody's proven, you know, a definitive diet program that works for everybody. People are different. There are a lot exactly. of variations. And what we were building at the time, and this is like 15 years ago, was we were trying to work on building kind of an AI that would recommend diet and exercise programs based on the individual's specific attributes as opposed to, and, you know, we had a bunch of companies, Weight Watchers wanted to acquire us, Nutrisystem wanted to acquire us, all of those big diet programs wanted to acquire us mm -hmm. because we had all of these corporate clients and they wanted to take what we had built and then basically just shove their thing into it. And, and I'm like, no, the reason our program works is because of choice and it's because of these incentives. And if you take away choice, then the program doesn't become effective anymore. So, so yeah, encouraging people to walk away from, from public health guidelines. And yeah, I mean, anything that you can do to not require big pharma. I mean, I think most of the big pharma drugs are there to keep you hooked. Um, and most of them are unnecessary. I mean, I think 70% of overall healthcare costs are avoidable by changing lifestyle. Like it's, it's really that large of, of the pie, but nobody has an incentive to promote that. Mm -hmm. And you get a lot of, of resistance and a lot of kickback with that. So, um, yeah, so I know I'm a big believer in, um, uh, taking control of your, of your own health. And but that starts with, with realizing that the experts are not experts and that there's no feedback loop. If they're wrong, nobody ever gets fired. But, exactly. what, but what's worse about it is that, again, I think what they're doing is intentional. And I, I could go on and talk about that at length. I, I'm, I'm going to write another book about that. I actually had a series of books that I was going to write. But what I realized is if we don't stop CBDC, it doesn't matter, right? I could, talk, we could, I could talk about public health and public school indoctrination and all of this other stuff. But if we don't stop CBDC and people are on social credit scores, you lose the ability to even protest those other things. So that's why this has become kind of the mission critical thing to focus on. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, it's – I didn't know that about that uh, Lancet diet. I've heard people refer to that, but in my opinion and my understanding of the research, anybody that's telling you to eat a low-protein diet is should go pound salt essentially because protein is the most important macronutrient. That is the only one – or well, you can survive without carbs, but um, you need carbs and fats. Um, generally, if you're eating any kind of you know animal proteins, you're going to get enough fats throughout those animal proteins. But um, as you age, it's so, 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 so important to get protein. 
2019. And in fact, um, there was a plan put into place by Mayor Eric Adams up in New York where he's trying to shift over um, New York schools to a more plant-based diet, which I don't necessarily have a problem with a plant-based diet. But the problem is, as you age, the critical part of protein is the leucine, which is one of the amino acids inside of protein. And that's what triggers muscle, muscle protein synthesis, which is just the process where your body assimilates, you know, um, protein to your muscle. Um, as you eat more and more plant protein, you get less and less of this amino acid leucine. So therefore you need more and more calories to trigger muscle protein synthesis. Um, animal proteins are high in the amino acid leucine. In fact, they're actually ranked the best amongst all of uh, different kinds of proteins. Um, so when you start thinking about aging populations, what happens to old, elderly people? Typically they fall, they break a hip or something due to a loss of lean mass. So when you start telling people they have to be plant-based, especially as they get older, this is so damaging for so many people because older people, especially they can't consume enough calories because they may have issues chewing or things like that. So now you're telling them to eat plant-based where like you could eat a three ounce chicken breast or like a three ounce steak and you'll get 30 grams of protein versus you would have to eat like five cups of quinoa or, you know, just so much plant food to get enough protein. That's not to say you should avoid plants. I think you should include, you know, plants and stuff like that. But um, if you're going to tell people to avoid animal proteins, especially as they age, I think you're going to do way, 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 way more harm than good because now those elderly people aren't going to be able to trigger their muscle. They're not going to maintain bone density or anything like that because they're not getting sufficient protein. And we see that a lot today. And these guidelines are only going to go to make it worse. Well, and the thing is, these guidelines, when you look at the Lancet thing, it, it just all of this ties back to the UN 17 Sustainable Development Goals. And if you look at those 17 Sustainable Development Goals, they want to regulate every land, air, sea, where you work, where you live, what you eat, how you interact with people. Diversity, like it, it, it includes all of those things. Literally, there's there's nothing that isn't encompassed by these 17 Sustainable Development Goals. When, when you start to look at the Lancet diet, you realize they didn't develop the diet from the perspective of optimizing human health, they, they're taking this holistic view, as they call it. So they're trying to factor in their projections about the environment, right? So the reason that you get this plant-based- Which are always wrong. Which are always wrong, but the, but the justification for the, for the, for the plant-based thing isn't about your health. They're, they don't, they're not even, they'll right. lie to you about some health aspect, but it's not. It's actually about their misconception about the environment. There's nothing about the Lancet diet that is focused on, the longevity and optimization of human health, n n nor was there with the USDA food pyramid as well. So I agree with you, protein. And it's funny right now I'm going through, I'm trying to figure out because I'm so sensitive to gaining weight. I I'm so not wanting to gain weight. I'm trying to figure out how to recomp without like I'm fasting today. So like yeah. I'm doing a, this is probably a granular, but I, you know, I'll, I, I lift weights twice a week. I do full body. So I do a sure. substantial amount and then do kind of like, like two days where, you know, cause protein synthesis, it's a 48 hour process roughly or whatever. So I'm making sure I get enough protein in for that 48 hour period. And then I fast for a day. And then I, I'm, I'm just trying this actually this week. I'm, I'm just trying this. So I'll let you know how, how it works. Mm -hmm. Cause I, there's, I don't know how convenient it is yet, but, but mm -hmm. in, in any event, two days a week, I'm fasting and, and at the same time trying to, to put on muscle. So we'll see if that time period mm -hmm. works. But I agree with you on protein. Protein is, 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 is the key and it's, and it's tough. Like I've got to figure out how to get 220 grams of protein a day. That's actually not easy. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. Typically it's like, uh, I never use egg whites by themselves. I think only like a handful of times I've ever cooked egg whites, but like egg whites, protein powders and stuff like that sometimes help. Um, 
low fat dairies can be a little bit good too. It's and obviously all this stuff kind of depends on what you like and you know whatever your body tolerates fine because some people can't handle shit like that. Like I've had to learn how to cook pretty much everything gluten free because my wife has a celiac. So like whenever I go to restaurants, people probably think that like I'm some kind of kook or something like that. It's like no, <laughs> if my wife so much has like even a seasoning with gluten in it, she'll be borderline bedridden for a day. So like you know th this just not a joke for some people. But once again, if you're not one of those people, then don't worry about it. But you know, I've just kind of learned to go without it for, uh, you know, a couple of years now, because we've been together for almost five years. Um, so yeah, that's, that's interesting. I recall you saying that you were going to do a series of books, but, um, I, I do agree that I think the CBDC stuff is probably the most important thing. And right now I think it's you, Vivek Ramswamy and, uh, Ron DeSantis who are the only guys talking about it now. With Ron, it seems more superficial. Like he doesn't really seem to get to the nitty gritty of it. He just seems to kind of like say, I'm going to ban it. And then that's it. Like he doesn't go any further. Um, Vivek seems a little bit more into like into the weeds with some of the conspiracy stuff in the World Economic Forum. And then obviously you are much, much more <laughs> educated than the other two. And that's not like knocking them specifically for that. I'm sure they're educated in other things, but this seems more your alley. I mean, this is my alley. I mean, it, be, it became my alley. It wasn't my alley. I, I would have been more in health, health, you know, otherwise. I, it, yeah. A lot of the political activism that I was fighting in New Hampshire for the 10 years prior to that was, mm -hmm. was fighting Obamacare, Medicaid expansion and, and, and healthcare related things. But, but this became it. And, and I, what I tend to do is I research until I find the highest leveraged, well, the biggest threat and the highest leveraged kind of activism that you can do to neutralize that threat. So I just kept, I kept on re and researching it's funny you mentioned this i uh i met with vivek I, he's got a copy he's read my book mm, so cool. um I, and I, but but the truth is uh, and somebody today said oh i'm glad you you're 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 warming up to vivek i said listen if vivek promotes the bank run yeah. no then i'll be more excited about him but if but if any politician who thinks they're going to fix this is insane. And I think that's, you know, part of the problem is Vivek has a lot of great ideas and he has no capacity to get it done because of the uniparty in Congress, because of the nature of the deep state and the politicization of the court. So he's not actually going to be able to do what he wants to do. I like, I admire some of the stuff that he says he's trying to do, but we're not, that's not where we are. We're at the kind of, we're collapsing here. And Again, with the, what we put up with in terms of COVID tyranny, imagine how bad COVID tyranny would have been with a CBDC, right? I mean, the censorship was bad, but if you don't take the vaccine, you get your, your money cut off. I mean, it, the, the, the participation rate, would have, the compliance rate would have been almost 100% if we had CBDC. Well, that's coming. And I, and I honestly think it's coming before the 2024 election. But I think your, your characterization of it is right. DeSantis is completely superficial. You know, they went out and said they banned CBDCs in Florida. They didn't ban CBDCs in Florida. They basically said that if a CBDC is passed, it doesn't have consumer protection under the Uniform Commercial Code. Well, crypto doesn't have UCC protection either. So that doesn't mean that it's banned. It just means that if they tried to implement it, the consumers wouldn't have protection. Well, that's not exactly it. That's not even close to a ban. Right. That, so, that, so that gives DeSantis a soundbite. But the truth is... Fiat is the problem, right? The CBDC is the threat, but fiat currency is, is actually a problem in and of itself. The dollar is a problem. And I have a whole chapter in the book about fiat currencies. There have been thousands of fiat currencies in human history. Not one has been successful. 
It has a 0% success rate. Um, a guy wrote a book called Dollar Days where he analyzed 750 fiat currencies and he found that the average fiat currency only lasts for 27 years. They all fail. And he gave an analysis of why they fall, why they fail kind of in general. So economic mismanagement, government corruption, war, uh, excess spending, uh, technology, competition. You know, he goes through and outlines all these things. The United States is flashing bright red on every one of these reasons that fiat currencies fail. And so the dollar is, is on the way out anyway. And it's hard for people to understand that or even think about it because it's been the reserve currency since 1920. So basically everybody alive in the world is, is used to and accustomed to the dollar being stable. Mm -hmm. But the average um, world reserve currency, if you look at the five previous world currencies, global reserve currencies prior to the dollar. So the, the British pound, the French, uh, uh, it wasn't the franc, uh, the Dutch guilder, the Portuguese. So the, 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 the average global reserve currency only lasts 94 years. So we're already at the late stage of the time horizon for a global reserve currency. So that's why I'm, I'm promoting the self-custody alternatives. And it's not a utopia. I'm not presenting a utopia. What I'm saying is we have a complete, the base case scenario right here is a complete global tyranny by 2030, where everything is controlled centrally. And it's interesting, when you look at the history of this, when you look at the founding of the UN, and you look at the founding of these organizations, they were talking about one exception. These aren't theories as to whether or not their intent was to go in this direction. And if you want to know what kind of philosophy guides them, it's really technocracy. It's the idea of elites picking the best scientists and engineers to control society from the top down. That is the form of government or, or the form of society that they want. I can't even say a government because there's no voting in this system. If you want to see what a technocracy is like, read A Brave New World by Aldous Huxley. And I'm rereading it now, kind of with this renewed vision and understanding of the history of technocracy. There's no voting in A Brave New World. It's exactly like what the UN agenda is looking like, where everything is predetermined. I mean, you're born, you're genetically engineered into a caste. You're an alpha or a beta or a gamma. Like, you know, they have their five different tiers. And um, all of the decisions are made for you. You're literally brainwashed at various ages and, and repetition is like put in you. You don't question or think about anything. That looks like a social credit score. That looks like the 17 sustainable development goals. And if you look at Yuval Harari, who is the this intellectual component to the WEF and the UN, he talks about that. He talks about, we're going to create our own religion. Uh, he, he literally states, this is the end of free will, right? This, so, so there's no conspiracy theory about this. They're moving towards this. And, and that is their intent. They actually believe in that they will perfect man by integrating man with technology and that we're essentially not kind of autonomous free will agents at all. That's their belief system. So that's what we're fighting against. And when people say, well, this is a conspiracy theory, five groups, the UN, the World Economic Forum, the IMF, the World Bank, and the Bank of International Settlements, those five organizations have 
65,000 full-time employees and an annual budget of $35 billion. So this is a huge consorted effort, a concerted effort. And that, that's not even including like the member companies that are part of the WEF, as an example. Those are just the organizations themselves. And most of those organizations, with the exception of the WEF, are actually funded by taxpayers. So we are literally paying for our own enslavement, if you will, and have been for decades with most of these organizations coming out of World War I or World War II. And so we have a, an enemy that has a concerted plan and, and we're sitting around saying, well, these are just conspiracy theories. And then our politics are these narrow debates. These, I like to call them polarity contests. It's like, what can we get argue, you know, angry about yet? It's going to be the, the gender thing. And it's going to be about pronouns. And then we're going to move on from one to another. While at the same time, these people are spending billions of dollars pushing an infrastructure and a surveillance state and uh, a complete state of digital tyranny on us with a goal, their own stated goal of 2030. Now, the 2030 UN uh, agenda was set in 2015. So they're actually halfway through kind of the implementation of it. It's that their vision of this isn't that it starts in 2030, that's that it kind of goes live in 2030. So China, a lot of people like Vivek will say, well, China's the enemy. China's not the enemy, China's the test case. China didn't engineer the war. In fact, if you go back to the late 60s and early 70s, China was like North Korea is now. It was a technological backwater. It was a completely poor. Exactly. That's what a lot of people miss. A lot, a lot of people miss that. So that the idea of, of, of implementing a technocracy actually came about through the Trilateral Commission and groups that were in the United States. So this is stuff where they looked at it and said, well, we can't try this in the United States because people are used to property rights. People are used to a free market mechanism. So let's test this out in, like, in China. Let's see how it works there. And then we will transfer the technology to other countries over time. And that's exactly what's going on right now. So, so this is, so this is urgent. So if their end date is 2030 and, and we're already kind of halfway through their 15 year plan, then we better be focused on stopping this specifically stopping the digital currency aspect or, or we're going to be, we're going to be stuck. Cause I, I don't know that many people that are going to stand up when their money is shut off. Yeah. And see with a situation like that, it's unfortunate because like, people aren't really going to have a choice. I mean, this is the same thing with the, uh, the, the treatment mandates. If you follow what I'm saying here, <laughs> yeah, yeah, people really didn't have any other choice in some situations where they would have to, you know, say, Hey, I have to take this or I'm going to lose my job. And, um, you know, hats off to the people that stood strong. My wife was one of those people who, um, kind of got out of her job before that really became a thing. And she also said that, hey, I'm, I'm not going back if they're going to require this. Um, there, I know some other people who are the same way. But I mean, you know, when you have your currency on the line, them telling you that, hey, you know, it's, you know, you got to listen or, you know, you're done. Um, you know, it, it's, it's going to be tough for people to finally stand up either that or they're going to be pushed to the point of discomfort where they have to stand up. And that was something that I was thinking about the other day when um, someone was complaining about having like anxiety attacks to me or something like that. And he said, Oh, my doctor told me um, it's because I have to like pay bills or something like that right now. I'm like, man, you will never go anywhere in life unless you get pushed to the point of discomfort of finally realizing that like where you are right now is not good enough. Right. We don't move at a leisurely pace typically. 
Um, whenever something needs to happen, it's because you're pushed to the point where you realize that whatever's going on right now is not sustainable, right? And, and I think this is the way that you probably saw your health. This is the way that I saw my health, um, that we couldn't sustain where we were any longer. So it's like, okay, well, now something has to change. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. Pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. And I think this is what, once again, to tie it back to your run, I think this is what a lot of what your run is about. Um, and, and like, think about DeSantis or Trump or Vivek, um, it's almost kind of irritating because I think people have like this savior complex where they think that if we would just elect Trump, then things would go back to normal. Like I've seen people putting out the hashtag vote red or we're dead. I'm like, you guys don't realize like you could vote in Trump tomorrow and we're still going down the path. I mean, you have four years of an example to show you that he will bend the knee anytime it means anything. DeSantis, he's a little bit of a rogue character because he, you know, he stood up when it came to, uh, COVID tyranny in Florida a little bit, but I still think he would play ball. Vivek, he's a little bit of an unknown, and he's kind of flip-flopped on a lot of issues as well. You know, if you look back through some of his old tweets where he condemned Trump for January 6th and then commended Biden for getting out the vaccine and some other stuff, um, it's really hard to say. But yeah, I, I think people look up to these politicians, these people running for president as their heroes, but it's like, no, it, it does start with each one of us. It doesn't start with them. It starts with us. It starts with us. And I mean, I will say, I, I think I might be the only candidate in, in the two major parties that, that isn't vaccinated. I, so um, I was very clear, having been in the healthcare space and studied public health, I, I, I know it's a scam. So it wasn't really an issue for me. And my wife was the chair of a, of a vaccine choice group. So she has a lot of really interesting information and perspective on that as well. So, so th this was never, uh, never something that I, that I considered. And yeah, I, I mean, I, DeSantis, I went to Florida twice during COVID. I, I, the idea that he's health freedom, I've posted the videos where he's out there telling people to get vaccinated, where he's literally in front of a Walgreens or in front of a CVS. You know, he changed his mind when it became politically expedient, but 82% of the right. population in Florida took the, took the first jab. So, so to me, this is him kind of being, you know, after the fact. Either you understand that public health is a depopulation death cult or you don't. That's kind of the way I look at it. And if you do understand that, then it makes how you evaluate things easy. The problem that's going to happen is, I mean, it's like you mentioned with Trump. As much as I don't like Biden, the least amount of freedom I have ever had in my entire life was under Trump. We, right, I mean, That's going to sting a little bit. <laughs> but, but, but think about that's it. true. The stay at home orders, business shutdowns, mask mandates. We don't have that now. We had some of that at the beginning of Biden, but the worst part of this was in 2020. The worst part of it, and, and I say this as somebody who loves New Hampshire, we had Republican majorities, which people here were working on for years, and that was going to be the great situation. It was a disaster here. People don't want to talk about how bad it was here. Not only did we have all of the tyranny, we had people in New Hampshire that were arrested for protesting about the tyranny. We had, we had a, a woman that went to an, a, an executive council event about vaccines and uh, she was arrested for saying amen. And she didn't even say amen. Like, like they, like it was, it was this complete police state situation. Now she subsequently just a week ago had her case dismissed, but this is something going back to 2020, 2021. 
So um, we did. Trump didn't do what uh, to me. Trump and Biden should both be at Nuremberg 2.0, not running for president of the United States. I can't imagine how either of them are acceptable. I don't think DeSantis, anybody that was a part of COVID tyranny should not be seeking higher office. Absolutely. I'm a big I'm a big fan of forgiveness, but I've seen nothing. Trump is still saying Operation Warp Speed is a miracle. He's and the father of the vaccine, self-proclaimed. Self-proclaimed, and he saved all these people. And 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 Vivek, Vivek was out competing for contracts to develop his own COVID solution. I, I saw something where he was working on a data and surveillance infrastructure on vaccines, vaccination status. I guess he didn't wasn't awarded that contract. So he's he's got there are a lot of question marks there and a lot of due diligence that needs to be done. But again, I'm I don't want to make this about uh, even talking about the candidates because I'm not going to solve anybody's problem either. Unless people resist tyranny, it doesn't matter who the next president is at all. It could be Trump or it could be Biden. If people are still going to uh, operate out of fear, trust experts in public health, people that don't have their best interests at heart and have no feedback mechanism, if people are going to continue to use this broken fiat currency and the broken banking system, then who cares who's elected? You can't fix that. But we all individually have the capacity, every thought that we have to make a decision and to change our thoughts, our actions, and our emotions. Those, that, that, that is where all of the real the real change comes from. So it's not going to be about blaming China or blaming Mexico or blaming Russia or, as you said earlier, Trump's not the savior, but, you know, you go down even worse conspiracies, QAnon. I mean, I, I'm remembering when thought there was going to be there were going to be military tribunals that came in, held like 48. I, I can't even remember what the theories were at this point, but they were going to have public executions and people were clamoring for the military to come in and execute people. That's actually part of what that strategy was. I'm right. like, are you, this is your, you know, desired outcome. You want a military police state to come in and you think that's going to clean up, you know, the underlying problems of corruption. It's like, wow. So people get caught up in anything outside of themselves and and that just that just won't work so yeah my message is definitely it's truth uh and transformation it's truth about it's truth about money right it's truth about fiat's failing and central bank digital currency and global tyranny is worse it's truth about public health these people don't have your your best interests at heart but what do you do boycott public health take control of your own health and your own personal situation. It's stop watching the news. I mean, part of when I went through my transformation, because I was, I was like a hard, I was a hardcore objectivist. I mean, I was the CEO of an objectivist organization, right? So this is like, okay, I'm, you know, I'm Ayn Rand fan and all, all of that other stuff. And, and, and I will tell you after doing some of the meditation stuff and, and even studying kind of the cutting edge of quantum physics and everything else, objective reality isn't quite as objective as, as I, it, it has been portrayed, I guess, as mm -hmm. uh, I'm trying to delicately describe this, but, um, but the importance of that is the mainstream media is brainwashing you. I mean, we know from the right. church committee that the CIA has full-time employees in places like CBS and uh, other networks in the, the New York times. In fact, I found this really funny. I, I don't know if you're, remember this or if they if they even still have this written in schools but do you remember something called channel one 
um wasn't channel one just kind of like the the cable channel on pretty much all televisions no matter what um like you could always access it even if you had cable or not i'm i might be mistaken this is a different thing that th this was something that was implemented in public schools in, okay. the, in the early 90s. And so you would you would go to school and first thing in the morning before first period or whatever, people would sit down and watch 20 minutes of Channel One News. And I remember at the time when they first started this, this was the first Gulf War. So we'd sit there and it's like, OK, Kuwait and bombs and all this other stuff. And I was doing research for the book and I'm like, oh, I wonder whatever happened with Channel One. And I found out that Anderson Cooper was actually an anchor on Channel One. So literally Whoa. middle school children in public schools across the United States were getting Anderson Cooper delivering news stories mm -hmm. every morning going back to the early 1990s. And then, of course, as we now know, uh, Anderson Cooper worked for the CIA and now He's at CNN, but also because uh, I don't watch this, but he's on 60 Minutes, which CBS is absolutely directly linked to to the CIA. Mm -hmm. So the point is, if you're watching TV in the morning or at night, your brain waves are in kind of this alpha mode where you're not consciously filtering what's going in. And so this is why you're highly suggestible. So like the solution to mainstream media is just to cut the cord. Same with big tech censorship. Turn that off and then stop public school indoctrination because it's hard to transform if your subconscious is being barraged by media, by technology and by explicit indoctrination within public schools. And so that that is stuff that you that you need to cut off. And so that's why on the truth and transformation side of things, once again, hey, you get all the benefit. You don't have to vote for me or vote at all. Those are the things that we need to do personally to basically control our own thoughts and control and take control of our own consciousness and free will. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Um, one thing that was interesting that I, I think a lot of people leave out and like, I like Tucker Carlson, but I think people forget that he ran, he was down with the uh, Contras in Nicaragua with the CIA and he looked to join the CIA at one point. And, you know, he had you know, almost 20 years of, you know, clamoring for a war with Iran, saying Iran should be annihilated and, you know, all of the uh, early uh, Middle Eastern wars he was a big advocate for. And, like, I'm thankful that he's turned on all this stuff. And, like, now he's promoting a good anti-war message. He's gatekeeping the Republican presidential uh, nomination from pro-Ukraine people. But um, I, I think a lot of people, and I'm not saying you do this, but I think some people kind of turn a blind eye to him because he's good on some stuff, but it's like he's got a little bit of a checkered past too that I think a lot of people don't like to admit. I mean, he is he was the biggest news anchor on TV. Like you don't get there without playing some kind of ball some way. And I think a lot of people just um people do this with alt media too, where they tend to look past um, potential conflicts of interest and in, with alt media figures because they tell the narrative they want to hear. I think that's that's definitely the case. I mean, I've been a victim of, of some of this myself. I mean, I got when I Absolutely. when I ran for for U.S. Senate, I uh, uh, it's I guess I'll, I'll tell you, it's, it is kind of a funny story. So so I was running all of these activist groups. I was running the Republican Liberty Caucus, Stark 360. And, and the purpose of those groups was to get other people elected. So I was never I'm kind of like a behind the scenes guy. That's normally like, all right, I'm starting a business. But it, it, when my companies, I was never like. Oh, look, it's all about me. Right. Like with my uh, weight loss you know, company, 
you know, we were on Good Morning America, NBC Nightly News. I wasn't on there. I had our clients on there. They were actually interviewing the people using the program, not not about me. So I, I, I'm more comfortable or more used to doing the behind the scenes stuff. And we got over 100 people elected in 2014 through these various organizations. And part of what we were trying to do was we were trying to get enough people elected at the state house to stop Medicaid expansion. And in fact, if you take a step back, Republicans used to be against Obamacare, right? This is supposed to be a unifying theme. Well, it turns out that in New Hampshire, it was the Republicans that pushed Obamacare Medicaid expansion. And I researched and tried to figure out why. And I, and I got to kind of the heart, the heart of the matter. And the, and the heart of the matter was Kelly Ayotte, who was our U.S. senator, felt that and John Sununu, the father of our current governor and former governor and former chief of staff for George H.W. Bush, felt like in order to protect Kelly Ayotte and protect this seat, New Hampshire needed to pass Obamacare Medicaid expansion. Republicans needed to pass this. So our sitting U.S. senator interfered in our state speaker of the House race. Now, I'm a free stater and I'm, and I'm a big fan of New Hampshire. Well, I guess I'm switching hats now because I'm running for president. But, but you know, like tr- truly, I'm a, I'm, I'm, a, uh, I'm, a, I'm a pro New Hampshire guy. And I'm like, if our state politics are being meddled with just to advance the federal careers of one or two people, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to interfere with those federal races and cost those people the election. So I recruited a slate of people to run as independents. We have two congressional seats. We have a U.S. Senate seat and, and a gubernatorial seat. And I, I, I got a, a whole slate of people. I ran for U.S. Senate and I cost Kelly Ayotte the seat. She, she, it was the most expensive U.S. Senate race per capita in the history of the United States. Whoa. She lost by 1,700 votes. I got 17,000 votes. And the, there was a libertarian also in the race. So I was 100% polling. I mean, I, I, I won't disclose who they are, but there are people that are elected Republicans right now that voted for me. Right. And so it cost her the race. And I ended up in $280 million worth of lawsuits related to that which I just got out of like last year. Whoa. So I was, I was, I was spent five years in $280 million worth of lawsuits for defamation. And I won't go into all the details about that, but there was a co-defendant with me in that. And that guy is out. He's lost $300 million worth of judgments and everything else. And he's out on all of the alternative media telling this story that involves me and free street, which is completely lacking in any factual basis whatsoever, but he's gotten traction like within like these like Q news source. So somebody has got a rumble channel or whatever. Right. And it's like three guys in a trailer and like they're sitting around throwing around conspiracy theories. Well, this guy goes on there, he gets traction and then he moves up the chain to the next person in the Q kind of like media continuum. So this was a long way of getting to what you were saying about you can't necessarily trust independent media either. And and in some cases, it's because it's biased and they're pushing a specific agenda. And in other cases, it's because they just don't know how to do research. There's no objective analysis. Uh So if a if a conspiracy theory is repeated enough times, oh, I heard this guy say this on this, you know, tinfoil hat podcast and this tinfoil podcast. So I've heard it twice. So it must be true. Right. And then it elevates. And so I I've been the direct kind of 
victim of that. And actually it's fascinating. I could write a book about that just to see what, seeing what's said versus knowing what the facts are. Like, like there's a, so, so I don't trust, you know, any, I like doing podcasts like this. I like doing long format. I don't like anything that's like a 90 second soundbite. I don't trust Tucker Carlson or Alex Jones or any of them. I think that they're all subject to, to influence and pushing a specific agenda. And you never know at what point they're being leveraged as well or, or being threatened. So, so even if somebody started out trying to be objective and balanced, they can be, um, they can be pushed one way or the other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's funny when you think about Alex Jones, because he will talk about, all the uh, conspiracies and the drinking the adrenochrome and all this kind of silly stuff. But then he never touches a certain state over the Middle East that uh, I think everybody knows what we're talking about. And yep. either that that part gets left out when you have rabbis that may or may not do stuff like that when you actually look into this, which is yep. for you know a whole other topic. But it's just kind of funny that he leaves that part out. And then like all the QAnon conspiracy theories, I've, I've sort of taken a liking to the saying, if all your conspiracy theories – remove accountability from israel or donald trump you need new conspiracy theorists because that's where like a lot of the conspiracy stuff goes like there's actual conspiracies and when you just spout off about how everything you know is a conspiracy to go get trump you now remove agency from not only a lot of people but now you also remove agency from Trump, who legitimately I think is a bad actor. Like somebody was tweeting me yesterday saying, um, oh, I can't figure out why he still pushed the vaccine as much as he did. That, that's the only thing I can't figure out. I'm like, do you ever think he, maybe he was in on it? Like, is that too far removed from reality? He was president. I don't know why people just think that like he is this renegade actor when he's been a lifelong, you know, Democrat billionaire who hung out with Epstein and all the other, you know, elites, but though somehow he just made it to the very top to be the president of the United States and still remained, you know, untouched. I have a very, very, very hard time believing that, especially as I said earlier, every single time it came to do something meaningful, he backed down every single time. And then he crit- he was proud about it most of the time too, when he backed down. Yeah, no, he, he was, I I've been, I never voted for him. I mean, you know, I'm not a very good Republican. The last Republican I voted for for president <laughs> was, was, was Ron Paul. So I, you know, I, I I'd say you're a good Republican for that then. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I mean, I, I've never voted for a Democrat either for president. I but I usually vote libertarian actually for, but you know, whatever it, 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 uh, but I, I could never vote for Trump even in 2016. Like I, and I know a lot of, I, I would argue with people at the time and it was a big issue and most people in the free, well, there's some division in the free state project, but, but most of the hardcore free staters were pretty anti-Trump from the very beginning. But it was, but I, I was like baffled. And part of it is that, that his entire backstory is a lie. If Trump had taken the money he inherited from his dad and put it in the stock market, he'd have a significantly higher net worth than he has right now. He is not a successful businessman. That's actually point number one. And then everything else kind of falls from there. So you have a population that's captivated by his persona on a reality TV show and using that as the basis for him being a success and, you know, his this whole art of the deal and negotiations. Well, if you dig into his deals the bad deals he negotiated for us when he was president are consistent with the kinds of deals he negotiated when he was president. <laughs> we shouldn't be surprised by the outcome, but you're right. The fact that people, everything that happens to him is a conspiracy. I'm like, I, I've had somebody say to me, well, well, he pushed the COVID just so he could get Fauci. 
I'm like, I, and I, I tried to have a conversation, but well, how exactly? there was, yeah, there was an article on Yahoo news where it said Trump said himself, he would not fire Fauci because he felt he would take too much heat for it. You got heat either way. You might as well have did the right thing and got heat for that. than do the wrong thing and get heat for it anyway. <laughs> yeah. He, so, so, and, and people, I, so I don't, I don't get it. Like, I, again, I think this is why it's hard for me running for president. So what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to say, so I gave Vibic a copy of my book and because I'm in New Hampshire, I'm going to give every presidential candidate a copy of my book. And my, my position is you need to support this concept because if this isn't blocked, it doesn't matter if, if you win what you're going to be, you're going to be powerless because this is already going to be put in place. And you're not going to be able to unwind it. So, so that's kind of my position. And I try not to get too bogged down on the day to day, but I get, fr but I do get frustrated by something that you said. I, I get frustrated by people thinking that any of these people are going to be their savior. None of them are going to be your savior. And I'm not running to be your savior. I'm running to tell you that we, we got to take care of our own stuff personally, individually before the next election, or there may not be a next election. I mean, the stuff in Ukraine is you, you have to dig to find out what's actually going on. You have to search and you have to be a sleuth to find out what's going on over there. And it's not good. Right. I mean, we are on the brink potentially of a nuclear conflict, and that's not what you're seeing on a day to day basis. All of this is avoidable. All of this should have been avoided. And, and yet most people are like running around, you know, carrying the Ukraine flag and, and, and excited about this and not understanding the implications of what's going on or, or, or even the, the corrupt reasons were in this and, and our role in orchestrating it going all the way back to 2014. I mean, it's just, mm. it's, a, it's a crazy situation, but I, I hope more people... Usually I've got a, a presentation that I make about the book. It's like an hour long presentation. And, and I, I gave it at Porkfest. I gave the talk a couple of times and it was uh, it was very well received. I, I'm trying to figure out the right format. I just need to get it in front of more people because I can't give you the sound bites that are in this book. Right. Because for the average person, you have to understand. All right. Here's how fiat. Here's what a fiat currency is. Here's how it works. Here's in my book. I start out in the first chapter with kind of it's a science fiction you know, it's a fictional dystopian tale of what happens to this family living under a totalitarian globalist state with their social credit scores and everything else. But then in the next chapter of the book, I explain how everything in the fictional story exists today. And at, at some point, whether it's a surveillance system or a vaccine passport or even something, I, I go extreme in the book. And I, 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 you know, in the book, this family, you have a family social credit score. And so what one member of the family does affects the score for everyone. And as your score decreases, it, 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 it changes your where you can live, your healthcare options, your educational options, transportation and everything else. And at one point, you know, the father in this in this story opts for medically assisted suicide as a way to boost his family's social credit score to get them back on their feet because they had declined so far. And that's probably the most you're like, oh, my God, that's outrageous. Well, Canada has that's based on what's going on right now in Canada. Canada has what's called the MAID program, Medical Assistance in Dying. 10,000 people used the program last year. And look, I could take the position of both my parents died in 2012. I've seen, you know, if you have a terminal illness or whatever, um, you know, okay, I can see somebody maybe electing to make that choice. But in Canada, where you have single-payer health care, what's happening is this is being offered to more and more people 
in situations that aren't warranted. There was this woman who was in the Canadian military and uh, is now paraplegic, but she was, she's a Paralympian. So she's very active. Like she's, she's an athlete. She's, she's in, by no means depressed. She appealed to the Canadian government for uh, a wheelchair lift. And they responded back to her and we said, well, and they said, well, sorry, we, we can't we can't give you a wheelchair lift. But if you're that hard up, we can enroll you in the medical assistance and dying program. So they offer her euthanasia instead of a wheelchair ramp. There there was another story of a, of, of a 20 a guy in his 20s who called into a suicide hotline who said he was depressed and couldn't find a girlfriend. And they, they offered this medical assistance and dying program. So they're expanding the program and it's the number one source of harvested organs in Canada and everything else. Like it's, so when I say this like dystopian thing in the book, it's like, but then when people realize this is going on in Canada now and they're running, you can, you can Google this on, on YouTube, they're running TV commercials and a whole bunch of other stuff. And, and now because of the poverty caused by COVID that there are a number of videos that you can see on YouTube of people being interviewed saying, well, I'm just poor. I can't afford my rent anymore. So this seemed like, this is my only option. So there are people that are, are opting for government sponsored euthanasia in Canada because they can't pay their rent. They've expanded the program to include people with mental disabilities. Uh, it, 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 like it's just so, so, and Canada is, is the, Trudeau has been a big proponent and, and uh, cheerleader for what goes on in China. And there's even been some like overlap and technological transfer and discussions around social credit systems, although nothing's, been built up yet but but you, you'll see all of these people biden trudeau other people like like really applauding china they they were very positive about the way china handled the lockdowns the militant approach with you know i mean it's just it's so it's crazy how fast this is coming so all of this is coming if they get their way this is a 2030 situation again i believe we have free will i believe we can stop all of this because some people will say to me they'll say well look if they implement this it's not going to work well, I don't think it'll work, but they might wipe out humanity in the process. That's not going to stop them from, from, from trying. And they're certainly making a, a full effort at it. So, um, so yeah, we, we don't have a lot of time. And I, I think this, this bank run manifesto and this blocking the CBDC has to happen. And the reason it can work is the dollar used to be backed by gold, right? A, a dollar, you used to be able to buy an ounce of gold for $20.67. Then FDR came in and changed it arbitrarily and said, no, $35 for an ounce of gold. Then So the dollar is now backed by absolutely nothing. Then it used to be in 1992 that banks had to hold 10% of customer deposits in reserves. So the bank doesn't have 100% of the money. They're, you know, they're loaning it out and doing all this other stuff. Based on the co it, when COVID hit, they changed the reserve requirements. Banks are no longer required to hold any reserves. So when I say 3% participation can stop CBDC and stop mm. fiat, it's because literally, so what are banks holding on to? So banks already don't have 10% deposits, right? They may have, it depends on the bank. Some banks are healthier than others, but let's say five, 7%, but they're not holding on to it in cash. They invest those reserves. Well, what are they holding on to? commercial real estate, residential real estate, auto loans, student loans, credit card debt, every class of asset that is in a bubble. So if there was a crunch and, a, and you know, 3% of the people came to the bank and said, you know, I want to, you know, take my money out or 
or I didn't even want to say it that way. If people just started buying gold, silver, crypto, other alternative assets, they would have to sell these other assets at a loss and which creates a spiral effect. And so you would find uh, the bank, the bank with just 3% participation uh, would be stuck. So that's why to me, this is a doable plan. This doesn't require a lot of, 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 of huge participation, but it's amazing how many people that, um, I've talked to her that you can even find on Twitter where you got to try to take $5,000, $10,000 out of the bank. You have to set up an appointment 48 hours in advance because the bank doesn't actually have physical cash, that much physical cash on hand. There are reporting requirements. You can't take out more than $10,000 in cash at a time. It's illegal to take more than $10,000 across state lines without filling out FinCEN paperwork. Like it's just, so they've already been restricting your access to your own cash. They've already been putting in those kinds of restrictions. And now you're starting to see a reduction in the number of ATMs. And so they're doing it slice by slice because all people that say to me, well, don't do a, don't do this bank run concept. It'll accelerate a CBDC. And I'm like, no, they're putting all the infrastructure in place. They're doing it slice by slice because they're not ready to fully implement it. But once they're ready, they'll just implement it. The only advantage we have is how over leveraged the banking system is and speed and our ability to do something now, as opposed to when they have all of the safeguards and systems in place to prevent us from being able to do this. <clears throat> yeah. It's absolutely incredible that, um, what the banks do is truly truly criminal um i mean they they charge all these overdraft fees they charge fees to maintain an account they charge you yearly fees for your credit card and all this stuff and what's nice about this bank run idea is that you would punish some of the most criminal actors in the entire country because these banks what they do to people on average is just absolutely criminal and who always gets bailed out every single time things go south it's always the banks. It's always the big businesses. It's always the big corporations. So, um, and, and that's kind of what you saw with uh, the whole game stonk thing, right? Um, yeah. Where they, you know, kind of shorted a bunch of trades and they, you know, screwed over the billionaires. And it's kind of funny because you're not allowed to do that, but yeah. they can play it their way. So yeah. this kind of seems like a, the same kind of deal. And I don't know, man, I'm, I'm a believer. I wasn't quite sure what the exact definition was. I, I was reading through some of it and listened to you explain it before, but uh I'm, I'm pretty far bought in because I think this is a really, really cool idea. And um, just the idea to finally stick to the man who's really stuck to all of us for years and years and years and who unri- you know, unrighteously just gets bailed out every single time at our expense. It's time that they feel pain as well, you know? What is, and I haven't found anybody that likes banks. This is a unifying issue, right? It doesn't matter right. what your race is, your gender, what your political ideology is. Everyone has gotten screwed over by the banks, but it was, but one of the, so a couple of interesting things have happened and I've actually been talking to Kanye West people and, and um, I, Kanye, so I've been talking about this bank run concept for three years. I, if you, if you followed me on Twitter, this has had nothing to do with politics. I actually said, I think for the first time three years ago on Twitter, bank run versus CBDC is the final battle. So I, I've seen that this is going to be kind of the final, the, the, the final boss, if you will, uh, for this for this particular conflict. But I didn't get really serious about it until October of last year. I actually created a website called Bank Run Now. And um, I saw that Kanye West had his bank accounts frozen. JP Morgan Chase froze $140 million of his money. Now, we already have the Canadian truckers, right? There are certain religious groups, people involved in crypto. Again, you had Jeremy Kaufman on. I remember doing a video um, that I 
posted on library in 2020 or 2021 where his bank account was canceled. His library bank account was canceled by Citizens Bank, I think it was, like a couple years ago. They just sent him a notice in the mail. They said, according to our agreement, which by the way, no one's read, no one reads their Microsoft agreement or their Apple agreement, right. and no one reads their bank contract either. Well, read the contract. The contract says they can cancel your account without any cause, without any reason, and give you whatever it is, 15 days, 30 days notice. They'll cut you a check and, and that's it. They don't owe you an explanation. And that's what they did to Jeremy. That's what they've done to people that are in the you know legalized marijuana business, people that are in crypto. So this stuff has already happened. But just this last week, Nigel Farage had his bank account removed. And Nigel Farage was one of the architects of Brexit. And so he'd had this banking relationship with uh, uh, Coots Bank or something like that, I believe, for, for 30 years and just out of the blue canceled it. Then he went to go try to get a bank account and was rejected by 10 other banks. And when he drilled into the heart of the issue, he found out that the bank that he was dealing with, it was actually owned by NatWest, owns the, the smaller bank. Uh, they put in place a reputation committee. They have people analyzing social media posts, analyzing media coverage, and using that information to make decisions about whether or not people can have bank accounts. That's happening in the UK right now. It happened to Nigel Farage. And I guess there's a Facebook group with 10,000 people that have lost their NatWest account for whatever the reason, but most of it is people are perplexed and they don't know why. They are actively working on this. And I guess there's one company in the UK that provides, it's kind of like our Equifax or Experian or whatever, that, that does the, the, basically the credit score and they're implementing social media posts and media coverage as into their criteria right now for the UK financial system. So, so this is already happening. So I, I, at this point, this is, I'm not even trying to warn people about what might happen. I'm trying to inform people about what's already happened and then inform them about what the plan is because the plan is mm -hmm. much worse and it's much more coordinated and well-financed than people are aware. And there's on the CBDC front. So the first pilot they did, and this, is, this gets really funny and it actually ties into a, one other aspect of this. The MIT Multimedia Lab has been involved in all three of the United States CBDC pilots. The chair of that group, uh, his last name is Ito, took money directly from Epstein he's, and Bill Gates, and he's been to Epstein's island. So, so like this isn't a conspiracy theory. This is actually a, a fact. So this is the group. Project Hamilton is the retail CBDC. And that CBDC can do 1.7 million transactions per second. So I want to put this in context. The current U.S. financial system can do about 100,000 transactions per second. So this is like 1.7 times the capacity of the existing financial system. So they completed that technically. They did another pilot for commercial banks to communicate with each other. And then there's this real dystopian thing called RLN. It has the most boring name you'll ever hear. It's Regulated Liability Network. And this is the third pilot that they did. And I'm, I'm like reading through their white paper. I'm like, oh, it is so laden with, with, with jargon. But basically, this is a framework that will make it so that CBDCs can inter interact with each other. It's like one blockchain to store all of the transactions across different CBDCs and other digital assets. So the idea here is you would have to register all of your digital assets through this RLN network in order to be able to use them. Well, let's talk about where this could go. Let's say we're in a future where you can only pay for things using CBDC. So I go to the Apple store and I buy a Mac with my CBDC. 
I get a token representing my Mac. That token has to be registered with the regulated liability network. Now, all of a sudden, I put out social media posts that people don't like. Not only can they shut off my bank account, they can shut off control and access to my asset and my ability to sell or transfer my asset. So I can't use my computer or sell my computer. That is the what they're working on with this regulated liability network. And that has MIT behind it, the Bank of International Settlements. It has a whole bunch of uh, large banks out of the New York Federal, that are affiliated with the New York Federal Reserve System. That pilot is underway. You don't hear about that in the press. And, and, and it took me a while to research it, read it, understand it. And when I read that, I'm like, wow, that's not just about censoring money. That's controlling all of your assets. So this stuff is here. All of this is here now. And it's just a question of can we inform people and get enough people to, to take action? And I hope to be able to do that. But, I, you know, I, I hope to talk to meet with Kanye about this and to talk to Nigel Farage about this, because the best way uh, to get the word out is for people to share their own stories about how they've already been screwed over by the bank. Although I will say the banks are notorious at suing people for defamation, for for bringing out into the public the truth about their abhorrent business practices. Yeah, I mean, that's it is crazy to think that somebody would literally be debanked for just statements that they made. Um, and that's awesome that you're getting a hold of them because, yeah, people can throw stones Kanye's way or whoever's way. But like the fact is, you know, how does that saying go? It's, you know, first it came for the communists and I didn't say anything and they came for the Nazis. And then there was no one left to stand up for me when the time came. Um yeah, man, you are an absolute wealth of knowledge, Aaron. This has been a very, very fruitful conversation, and I hope everybody, um, you know, goes and checks out your website and uh, reads your manifesto. And I got to get your book. I got to get um, more well informed on your campaign, and I'm definitely going to be supporting you. Um, I, I really like everything you've presented today. Um, if anybody else feels the need to support you, much like I do, I'll work everybody to find you. Uh, you can find me at day2024.com, uh, and you can find me on Twitter. Uh, at Aaron R. Day. And I do want to say one thing. So I, what I need right now, because again, I'm running to bring use this presidential platform to bring awareness to the CBDC issue. I, I want to get into the Republican debates. And the way to get into the Republican debates is you have to, to, to poll um, at 1% in, in three national polls. And you have to have 40,000 individual donors, at least 200 in each state. So I do need donations. It's not that I need a lot of money. If you donate a dollar, that's okay. But I need the number of donors. So I need 40,000 people to put in a, a buck. And I, you know, I take fiat currency, but I also take cryptocurrency, by the way, I've been using crypto in politics since 2014. So I, I accept, you know, Ravencoin, Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, Bitcoin SV, and a number of other, another, a number of other cryptocurrencies as well. So that's really what, what I'm looking to do as far as the campaign is concerned, is getting to that debate stage. Because if I can get this message that I just conveyed to you in into a 90-second form in front of 80 million people in a Republican debate, then we have an opportunity to get this word out. So that's my top priority right now with the campaign. Absolutely. Well, consider um, you know yourself uh, one donor from southwestern Pennsylvania, um, Richard, and maybe I could bug my wife a little bit to uh, make that too. And hopefully everybody who listens to this, make sure they go do the same because um, I think what you're talking about is very, very important. And um, as anybody who's listened to this show for any period of time knows that one of my main things is not only promoting health, but also stopping World War III. That's the main reason why I talk about um, either the military buildup around China and then some of the Ukraine stuff as well. That's so important. And 
I mean, you know, what does it matter if you can't buy or do anything or if there's no world left to do anything or if you're not healthy enough to enjoy it? Um, Aaron, we'll definitely do this again as your campaign continues. Um, like I said, you're an absolute wealth of knowledge. Um, if you've got anything else, we'll close her out. All right. No, that's, I'm, I'm good. Thank you for having me. Of course. Hopefully well, we... like I said, we'll definitely do it again. All right. Have a good one. Cool. Thank you. You too. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 